you know, because it was like, are we still having this conversation? I mean, it was hard to actually be associated with, I mean, to kind of give my time and energy to, to the race, knowing that I'm in some way supporting this inequity. We don't want what Julie did to turn this into a freak show, freak show, freak show. Some people I'm sure had funny feelings about it. I know the men did. I didn't really care. It's not, you know, about skin color and, you know, all these other socioeconomic differences. You want your team to win. I'm Celine Yeager. I'm Sarah Gross. This is Nine Voices for Title Nine, powered by Inside Tracker, a podcast that tells the stories behind the law that changed everything. This is Nine. 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 Hey, Celine. Hey, Sarah. Another week of the Nine Voices for Title IX podcast. I'm super stoked. It is another week. And this week we have Julie Moss, who, you know, I only knew really from that, from her famous crawl to the finish line moment. When did you first see that? I feel like on one of those shows like Wide World of Sports, does that sound right? That yeah, you would have I think, seen? okay. I think it was, and I think I think that might have been my first Iron Man moment too. Is watching yeah. Julie um, crawl to the finish line when I was a kid and not knowing what Iron Man was. Totally, no idea. Like my grandfather, like that was one of my cherished childhood memories. Is my grandfather always watched the Wide World of Sports, and we would sit down on Sunday and we'd watch it together. And like, you know, it just it was a super bonding moment. And it also just made me interested in all these kind of sports. But I had, I, at that point, I don't think I had any registration of what an Ironman was. <laughs> I don't think anything clicked in my head. I was just like, whoa, like whatever she's doing looks really hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I feel like I had a similar experience. I think I would have been quite young. I watched a lot of sport as a kid too. But what's like really unique about Julie's story. And I think the reason we wanted her on the podcast is because she has this, it's like a media story right? Where like, because she pushed herself to that limit and as a woman in sports media, she, it actually propelled Iron Man to become essentially like loads of people signed up the next year. It went from being this like super niche thing that nobody had heard about this create this thing that only crazy people did to like Julie's media moment to becoming a thing that everybody knew about. So I think that's why it's a super special story. What's really interesting about that, and she kind of references it in this episode, is that she, the only, the only reason she entered Ironman was as part of her exercise physiology thesis at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So she basically didn't really train up for this thing. She just entered it as an intellectual experiment. And it's interesting because it did sort of break open this, this sport to the rest of the world, but the people already in the sport, there was some pushback and she mentions it from people who are like, yo, we don't want this to be something that people come and that's what it is, you know, that they crawl to the finish line or they collapse Mm -hmm. or they implode. And, you know, she respected that, but interestingly, she also then goes on to train and, and become a, an iron man athlete for what, like, until 1990 and then she took a break after she married Mark Allen and they had a son and then uh, at 2000 she went back to it so like this also launched her own career which is super interesting in my mind yeah absolutely um and so Julie is interviewed by our own Alyssa Gadeski who's Mm -hmm. one of the co-hosts of the Iron Women podcast and I actually um it's fun to hear from Alyssa um used to co-host the Iron Women podcast with her when we first started um and I helped her with her one of her FKTs like she has an FKT in ultra running is like is the fastest known time on a trail and she has the fastest known time on the Vermont long trail and on the Anirondack 46 high peak uh oh, wow. so yeah for that first one it was a five-day thing I was out there chasing her around the trails with trying to keep her her social media up to date and get some good video and photos so that was really fun and Alyssa's also like has an Ironman 36 times and 45 36 from, yeah 45 Sorry, ultra marathons too I know <laughs> I know wow mm-hmm. that's a lot of Ironmans and a lot of ultras that's a lot of that's a totally. lot of stuff mm-hmm. what's yeah, what for I- you sorry go ahead yeah, no, I was going to say, I was just going to ask you the same question. And, and I think what did stand out for me was 
you know, aside from those sort of revelations of hers about that first Iron Man was also, you know, this being a Title IX aimed podcast is, is how so many of the athletes and the, the people that we're interviewing have a different understanding or even recognition of Title IX in their lives, depending on where they were and what they were doing at the time and not being particularly sporty herself. Like she just didn't, she didn't recognize Title IX in her life or any of really the inequities in the sport until quite a bit later once she entered this sport. And she actually references you guys, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. That was really cool. It made me choke up a little bit to hear her talk about like seeing us in our, like, because that one year in Kona, when we were trying to get equal slots for the pro women, we had, we went to the underwear, the underpants run. I know you went to it too, because I've seen the pictures <laughs> and we all had, so we all had our bikinis on and we wrote, we all wrote five Q, which was like our sign for, it was like basically a 50 turned into a Q with a zero was turned into a Q for qualified because we wanted 50 women to be qualified for Kona. And um, so we all wrote that in like marker on our, <laughs> on our bellies basically. And, um, and we ran like that. And she said, she saw that photo of us in our bikinis and felt like she wasn't sure if she wanted to continue to support Iron Man and to hear like such a legend of Iron Man as the one who's so associated with Iron Man's history um, say that and just to hear that impact that we had even on Julie personally was like kind of special for me listening so yeah me too really interesting Mm -hmm. okay well let's hear from Alyssa and Julie after a word from our sponsors Heisty Media's Title IX series is proudly partnered with Velo Rosa Bella Rosa is a women-owned and operated cycling apparel company that creates mix and match cycling wear to make women feel comfortable, confident, and beautiful. Created by two avid women cyclists, they know the importance of high-performance biking shorts and jerseys that fit a woman's body. It doesn't work to shrink and pink men's gear and expect it to work for women. Bella Rosa believes cycling wear should be fun, comfortable, and visible. You want to be bright and to be bold and be seen. Vela Rosa's collections are designed to mix and match with coordinating kit pieces that allow women to get more mileage out of their cycling wardrobes. New for 2022, a completely redesigned cycling tank, reflective safety tabs on all of their tops, and more long sleeve options for those chilly morning rides. You'll find tons of great reviews on their site from women who love Vela Rosa gear. Their five-star rated shorts prove that when women try them, they love the fit particularly the yoga waistband, power leg bands, and the super soft, all black, what stains, chamois. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, cycling is about the community. Join the sisterhood of cyclists that is Vela Rosa today. Enter FEISTY15, that's all caps, F-E-I-S-T-Y, number 15, at checkout, and receive 15% off of order of full-priced cycling wear at velarosacycling.com today. Female hair loss is a topic few of us want to talk about, but it impacts nearly 30 million women, so we should. And that's why we appreciate that Bonafide's healthy hair and scalp product, Sylvessa, is one of our show partners. With Sylvessa, Bonafide designed the first comprehensive system designed to restore and protect hair and skin affected by estrogen decline from the inside and out. It consists of a three-part system containing a daily capsule, hair serum, and skin serum to be combined for healthier looking skin and hair. During a 12-week clinical study, Bonafide found that 92% of women saw improvement in hair volume, 82% saw improvement in hair thickness, and 67% saw improvement in scalp coverage. Over 8,300 uncompensated doctors in the U.S. recommend Bonafide's products. All of their products are prescription and hormone-free. And for listeners today, we want to give you 20% off your first purchase of Sylvessa and or any of Bonafide's products when you subscribe to any product. Just go to hellobonafide.com slash title nine and use the promo code title nine. That's hellobonafide, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E dot com slash title nine and the code title nine, all caps, T-I-T-L-E and the number nine for 20% off at checkout. For the best prices and free shipping, go directly to the hellobonafide.com slash title nine website That is their best offer anywhere. So check it out and use the promo code TITLE9 today. Hi, Julie. Welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Thank you. 
And so Julie, uh, you know me a little bit because we have chatted in September of 2019. I'm one of the Iron Women podcast co-hosts. And we talked to you in 2019, right after you raced the Ironman 70.3 championships in Nice, France. And I admit I did a little bit of stalking here and it seems you haven't raced at least Ironman 70.3 or Ironman, I don't think since that race. So was that plan to be your swan song in triathlon? Did COVID put a wrench in racing plans? Like, will we see you out there still? Um, well, COVID definitely put a, a wrench into everyone's plans, but it was actually pretty convenient for me because I knew I had been pushing my left hip pretty hard um, all through 2018, qualifying and doing Kona. Uh, and then 2019, the hip was bad enough that I thought I don't have an Ironman in me, but I probably can pursue the half Ironmans. And it was one of those things where my hip bothered me less when I was training and more when I was trying to sleep at night. And so uh, towards the end of, and the end of 2019, and especially in Nice, you know, not getting sleep. And um, that was, that was the turning point. So I literally raced to the orthopedic surgeon and, and had my hip replaced as soon as elective surgeries were opened up in, um, in June of 2020. And how are you doing now with that? I know I have a couple of athletes I coach who have had hip replacements and they can like crush me on the mountain bike. So I know you can come back quite strong from that. Right. And I think the fact that they're on the mountain bike says a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the running that um, my surgeon said, you know, this isn't, this isn't so you can go out and do Ironmans, you know, for another 20 years. And I was like, really? Um, okay. <laughs> you don't have to tell me that twice. Um, there's very little in the Ironman area that intrigues me um, now after 40 years, um, you know, maybe an anniversary of Ironman, um, you know, something like that. Um, and definitely Kona would interest me for a big anniversary race. Uh, but I, I feel like I, I'm pretty complete on that level. The, the 70.3s are kind of fun and they're a great excuse to travel. Um, but I get there again, I'd have to really um, build up this uh, anaerob or this aerobic base that has dwindled pretty much since I stopped running. And I'm really... Yeah, I'm not really cycling either. Um, I just keep looking at your Instagram and thinking you're living my dream life there <laughs> on the trails. I mean, that's what's intriguing me now is hiking, um, backpacking. Um, looks like you're on part of the Appalachian Trail at times. At times, yeah, oh. I live really close. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I started early. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just kind of pivot here from Ironman a little bit and take it to the trails. But I'm hoping it will preserve a little bit long of longevity in my body so that if I want to return to Ironman at some point, I can still kind of push a little bit. Yeah. The idea that I can't do something is, kind of bothers me. Um, so I don't, I, I, I ran the other day. I mean, it just, my body felt like running. So I went out for about a usual walk is anywhere from five to eight miles and I ended up running about half of it. And that felt really good. And it felt really good to have muscle soreness again in my quads and, and calves from running. That's a good Oh, I thing. bet. That is a good feeling. Yeah. And we've touched a little bit on, you know, the topic of world championships. And this year we saw a major change with that, with Ironman holding the 2021 race uh, just this month in St. George, Utah. So were you in St. George did, or did you at least watch the coverage? And what did you so think about I that change in, in venue? Okay. Yeah, I was in St. George and I, and I strategically uh, from the Ironman brand, they had to get a race on the books, I think, to, uh, to just you know, take care of all their, you know, all those people who've been deferring and deferring and deferring and waiting to, to race. Yeah, right. for sure. Um, what I, I certainly wouldn't have picked that as an Ironman championship for myself. Um, I had a chance to talk to Heather fur while I was there and she said she would have liked a shot at that course. And I was standing next to McKeeley Jones at one time. And she said she would have liked a shot at that course in the, in their days. Um, just because it suited their strengths. Um, it wouldn't have suited my strengths. And I think a lot of people uh, really uh, were pushed to the max. And uh, it was a tough, tough course to try and, and bring it a championship performance to. But then on the other end, uh, we, we saw, you know, Dan, Daniela Reef and uh, Kristen Blumenfeld do those championship performances. So um, if you were, you know, if you're that caliber of athlete and you were ready to go, the course didn't seem to hurt you too much. Yeah. It seems like they're ready to go on any course that, you know, for, for that championship for sure. And I think it's a good 
good lesson and good to see that it can be done. So it begs the question, um, do we want to see the Ironman World Championship moved around the way we see the 70.3 moved around? And I think the consensus now is there's just such a, just such an iconic feeling to Kona that as long as Kona is willing to welcome the race uh, to keep it there, uh, discussions are, will it be a two-day format um, from now on? Um, I like the idea that the women get their day. Um, I experienced that in Nice in 2019, and it was really great to have the day. I mean, at least I knew legitimately I was the slowest person out there when <laughs> women were coming by me. It wasn't like there's some men still going to come by me. <laughs> women coming by me <laughs> let me know that indeed I was really, you know, on the on the back end. <laughs> I agree, though. I think the two day formats are going to be exciting. Um, it's going to be really fun this year to see the women showcased on their own day for sure. So, you know, if that works, I, I agree. I hope that the community can welcome that and continue with the longstanding tradition. I think that would be great. Well, it's it'll be a, a really good test case in October. So I'm looking forward to for being sure. Well, Julie, we aren't just here to catch up about triathlon. Um, you are one of the nine voices for the title nine in the feisty media podcast series that we are putting out. So I have to ask, like, have, do you see yourself as a title nine icon? Is that something that you would have ever kind of, you know, felt like, oh, I, I can see this. Um, well, I actually was kind of surprised that I was on the list to begin with. Um, I'm flattered and thank you for having me, but, um, I don't know the impact that Title IX had on me directly. I think I was sort of in that in-between part. I graduated from high school without being involved in sports uh, that much. I mean, just peripherally, just trying out for some sports and making the JV squad and, and moving on to another sport in the next year. Um, however, it's, uh, it was an interesting time to be a woman in the sport of triathlon. So. Uh, Title IX, obviously, uh, high school level, collegiate level, was there were some big impacts there. Um, but for me, I'd already sort of moved on into this professional world. And, and honestly, I just felt like I had every opportunities that I could have wanted. Um, I never really felt discriminated against. I felt like that came in later as we saw the pro women fighting for equal numbers, you know, in their in their pro fields in Ironman. And that took a while. But for me in those early days, and because I had a very um, sort of unique entry into the sport, I was put in the forefront of the sport of triathlon, not just because of that that performance that was captured on ABC Waldo Sports, but because now it's becoming a media event. And mm -hmm. I was one of the early media stars. Icons, for sure, yeah. yeah and, I'll, and I'll say that, you know, in, in very loose terms, but I was in demand in a way that um, was very unique for me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with your high school sports and things like that, did you notice at that time, there were differences in maybe recruiting processes or like, how did that work? You know, it's such a big thing now. And when I was in high school, it was like, a major thing, but I don't think I ever would have picked up on perhaps the benefits that title nine brought myself and my classmates in that process. You know, um, was that, did you, did you feel like there were barriers for, you know, your friends maybe who were competing a little bit more seriously or anything in that time going into wanting to compete in college? I was in high school in 1972 to 1976. So there weren't really even club uh, sports that were happening. Uh, so it was just high school was kind of it. And as far as college goes, um, I didn't really have friends on that caliber that were recruited for sports. So I was kind of in a little bubble. Um, to be honest, I just really didn't notice the impact it had on anybody around me, mm -hmm. certainly not myself or, or too many people around me. Did you ever hear murmurs of it? Like, was it ever spoken of one way or another positive or negative with people? Well, refresh my memory. What was the, what was title nine? The, the, the initial date was 70, 72, I believe. Cause we're coming up on the 50th. Right. So, okay. Yeah. I should know the exact date, but I, I'm not sure, you know, and, and I, I have to own that too, because I wasn't that involved in sports. I, I was a self-absorbed, you know, you know, teenager. So, but I think that says a lot that, you know, perhaps now with, media and podcasts, maybe like students now are even thinking about it more and wondering if that's why they have access or don't have access to certain things. I don't know. 
Oh, I mean, obviously it has to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, like, I'm going to be really intrigued to listen uh, to your podcast with Joan Benoit Samuelson. I mean, I think she's going to have um, a, a really clear, a much more clear perspective um, mm -hmm. on how that would have affected her. And, and obviously um, being very involved in running through the years and, and the women that she knew um, through running. Um, yeah, so things have to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's really interesting. The one thing that I paid attention to was triathlon becoming an, an NC two A NC NCAA official. Like AA. they have the yeah the NCAA <laughs> sport for women before mm -hmm. it became one for men. I yes. thought that was pretty. That to me was sort of that that made me think back to Title IX and how I didn't pay attention then, but I'm paying attention now that women are getting an opportunity. To possibly get a college scholarship at, in triathlon, where you know, and 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 I didn't feel too bad that men didn't get the same opportunity at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> that's okay. So your crawl, the famous crawl, right in Kona, was 1982. So that would have been uh, yeah, 1982. Yeah. So that would have been a decade, you know, after Title IX was passed, that you were racing in Kona, but. It's not like in that decade, Title IX was passed and then women had this massive influx into sport. There was women all around you on the start line of Kona. Like you were, you know, still very much in the minority there. So was it isolating to be a woman in sport during that time? What was it like in that, in that era? Um, because of the sport was still very brand new and it was considered sort of this fringe sport, kind of this, maybe a lot of, I think people were intrigued by, I saw it on television. I was intrigued to go the next year. It, you didn't have to qualify to get in in those first couple of years. So it was um, welcoming. I mean, I don't feel like the men weren't threatened by the women. We were, we were competing against women, competing against women. Men, I felt for the most part, very welcomed into this sport and very much um, supported. And the only way I learned about with the sport was from men. I didn't really know there were so few women that I had to learn everything about the sport, crash course in the sport. Literally, I got to Hawaii like three weeks before the race and crash sports, crash course in the sport from the men who were there to participate. And um, so I felt like I was just being drawn into this, this very much a family feeling. Um, that all changed on race day. It was kind of that unique to sport that I was, that was new to me, but not being a competitive athlete. I was like, wow, we're, where'd all my friends go? <laughs> They're also <laughs> tunnel vision and, and ready to race. And so I felt like I was almost alone on that day. It wasn't mm -hmm. isolating because of being a woman. It was isolating for me because I was very, I had very little experience of being a focused competitive athlete. No experience. And I think there's a lot of people who can relate to a lot of women who can relate to that learning everything. You know, I know I, showed up at group rides. I learned everything I know about cycling and group rides because I would go to these group rides and they were full of men, right? Like they were the ones teaching me what I was doing, the etiquette, all of that stuff was, but you now do a lot of work, um, with the women for try group within Ironman. Was that kind of a catalyst to maybe, you know, give back to the women, like maybe be someone as a, of a teacher or a mentor that you didn't have yourself. Sure, absolutely. And, and to, to realize now that it can be intimidating for women to come into this. That's what I've heard over and over again. It can be very intimidating. Um, and I didn't have that experience. And so I think I kind of, that was um, very much uh, energizing for me to get out there and at least be one of those voices that's welcoming for women into the sport. And, and I found that when I'd participate in all women's sports, we could get up, I remember this early series, the Bonnie Bell series. We would get 900 <laughs> women to show up. I mean, I didn't, I've never heard of that. I've heard of the Dan Skin Women stuff, but I yeah. haven't heard of Bonnie Bell. That's sounds... Bonnie Bell. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I still have the bell from the Bonnie Bell. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. And it was, but we had so many women come out so that to me, it was like, this is a no brainer. There should be women's series because that is a great way for women to get introduced to the sport to get comfortable, to feel welcome, and to be racing with hundreds of other women. We just don't get those numbers. And it's, it's, it, it, it still baffles me in a, in a typical triathlon. The odds are, I think, still 60, 40, if we're lucky. I yeah, I think that's yeah. about it. Yeah. And in, you know, in an all women's race, it's 100% women. So. 
And so when you did your you know, infamous crawl of fame where you collapsed 50 meters from the finish line at the world championships in 1982, if our listeners aren't quite aware, um, were there negative reactions to that? Like, did, you know, you kind of said it, it made you an icon of women in sport, but were there, which is, I think, you know, generally seen as a positive thing as a female really pushing herself to achieve this big athletic goal. But was there a flip side to that? Uh, I did get, I did get some pushback and it was from, uh, he was, he's a very good friend of mine, Scott Tinley. He was the men's winner that year. And my race pretty much eclipsed uh, the men's race. Uh, it, yes, they showed it, but the, the bulk of the attention was on my finish. And I think Scott's reaction, and I don't think he was alone, was that we don't want what Julie did to turn this into a freak show, you know, like. Uh, people, you know, crashing and burning are, are kind of the norm. We, we want it to be, you know, known for being this amazing one day endurance event and uh, of excellence. And we want to become professionals at this. And so we can't be having this, the, the two sides of this. Um, and I, I understood that, but it still didn't stop me from wanting to keep competing and to become a better athlete and to become more that professional side. But I understand there's this there's this human element to endurance sports that that's the that's where the magic happens and that's what draws people in. And I think you will probably know this very well. I mean, you're tempting these marathons where no one finishes. People show up to marathons and no one finishes that year because it's such a challenge. But there's something about that challenge that brings out something in the individual that's unique and amazing. And I got such an experience of that in 1982 that I've chased it for 40 years. I mean, to, ch to chase that ability to go to that edge. So that is gonna bring out some extreme performances. There are gonna be some major blowups <laughs> on races. Um, but the, the, for the most part, I didn't really feel like there was too much negativity from what I did. It was so more overwhelmingly positive from people connecting to that, that idea of perseverance and grit, determination, courage, and that you, you would choose to do that in, a, in an event, as opposed to having that done to you, like in football, someone smashing you. I, so yeah, overwhelmingly, it was, there was, it was positive, and there was a few um, pushbacks, but I totally understood where those were coming from. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely do encourage our listeners to read your book, Crawl of Fame, and in it, you use the term Wonder Woman a lot and you describe, you know, your childhood heroes from uh, fictional childhood books like Pippi Longstocking, Nancy Drew. And then, you know, later in life, you kind of use that term Wonder Woman to describe Kathleen McCartney, Aaron Baker, these other kind of role models, you know, and Wonder Women that you were looking up to kind of, you know, competing with that sort of thing. So these women that you admire in sports and business, how important has it been? You know, you, you mentioned that the men were teaching you everything about triathlon. So when you found a woman to be a wonder woman for you, whether in sport or business, as you progressed in life, was that something you fiercely held on to? Uh, yeah. Wonder woman. I think it was kind of, uh, it's, it's, it hasn't been something I've carried forever, but kind of at the time of writing the book, I was trying to encapsulate, you know, this, this feeling, and this was, um, just something in the popular culture that people could relate to. And I, I found in triathlon specifically, the women that I admired were also the women I were trying to be, I was you know, trying to compete against. So it was this kind of, not a love-hate relationship, but it was like, I admired them, but I couldn't admire them to the point where I wasn't willing to try and say, I maybe have a shot at competing with them. And, uh, and a lot of that was kind of coming from a place of insecurity too, of, of wondering, am I in this sport because I just happen to have this dramatic moment on TV? Do I legitimately have what it takes to become a professional? So there was some, there was some admiration, but also this idea that, um, you know, you have to fake it till you make it. I felt like I was an imposter for the first seven years of my professional career. And what was it that, that changed that feeling? It, that change was a, a commitment to challenging the idea that I coun't be, a uh, a top professional 
that I was only there to be a media darling or to, you know, remind people of 1982 and crawling and to get to use that footage and my likeness. So I, but I also then kind of hadn't figured out how to, to have the discipline, the day-to-day -day discipline of training that it takes to break into that, that upper echelon of being a pro. And it took six weeks on the island of New, in New Zealand, um, uh, training with Erin Baker, who was at the time one of those women who not only would she have not wanted me to refer to her as a wonder woman, she's so devoutly feminist. It's like she would have said, you can call me a strong woman, but don't call me wonder woman. You know, she was just, she was, she was just, she would call you on your stuff all the time. She was politically active. She ended up going into politics, politically active, smart, globally aware, and just such a badass athlete. So I got to spend six weeks, you know, just chasing her around. And the last day, uh, I remember it really well. We were on our long Sunday run. And there was a point where I, I wanted to pass Erin. She was running and she's known for being a great runner. And for whatever reason that day, I, I had built to this point where I could go around her and push the pace. And at the end of the day, she told her soon to be husband, Scott Molina, Julie's gonna surprise some people. And I'm glad she didn't tell that to me because what I was thinking was, I just wanna see how this committed, focused, you know, new version of me translates to a race. And my very next race was this um, race on the Gold Coast of Australia. It was a big professional race, big payday. And it was, I'd done the race before to having mediocre results. It came back and now I was just wanted to see how that training translated. Very different mindset to comparing myself to other people. Just, it was just me out there. Just, am I, can I be that kind of athlete? And coming off the bike with Paula Newby Frazier, we're in, you know, in, we're tied for second. There was an Australian woman uh, cyclist up ahead of us. We passed her. And then there was this point where I decided we'd, kept, we'd been running a certain pace and I felt Paula let her foot off the gas a little bit. And I just kind of thought, Paula, if you're thinking that I'm not a problem, <laughs> You don't know that I've committed to this pace. We've started this pace and I know how to hold it now and I'm not gonna blow up. I mean, at least I thought that until about the last kilometer. And then I did look back over my shoulder to make, and you know, there was a question. <laughs> you still have one K to go, hold it together woman. And yeah, so I went ahead of Paula and just slowly kept inching slowly ahead. It was my first big win against a woman who I would say is truly a wonder woman in our sport, someone I love dearly and respect. Um, I had been training with her, her biggest nemesis on the island of New Zealand. So it was like, wow, I think this was kind of a perfect storm uh, for me to get the benefit of training with a woman that I respected. And, you know, obviously we we're training with Scott Molina, Mark Allen, it was a, it was a great crew, but it was Aaron that I, I think when I passed her on that, that training run, gave me that feeling like I belonged or I'd worked hard enough to give it a shot and not show up with any regrets or any second guesses. So that was uh, in 1989. And I kind of self told myself, I just want one experience. I, sh that was, I shouldn't have limited myself. I mean, <laughs> I got a couple more wins, but um, I remember thinking, I just want to know what this feels like once. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was like, well, now I want it again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was that, it was that work ethic that um, I felt like I had never had that. And I think all the women athletes around me, especially coming into the sport um, of triathlon from swimming backgrounds or running backgrounds or cycling backgrounds, they had that. And that was something that was really took a long time to learn. And I think that that's was, really, yeah, it's really interesting. I think I, I became a professional in 2014 and it was that 2010 to 2014 period where I was working with my coach, Hillary Biscay. And I had her, I had Leanne cave, you know, if I would go to Tucson, it would be that whole Sarah gross, um, you know, group of women. And I remember watching them in that kind of training environment and being like, that's what it takes. But I, you know, similarly, almost, I couldn't quite figure out how to 
get myself to that level of commitment to be like, I felt like I was doing it. And I remember talking to Belinda Granger, actually, I think it was um, around 2012 in, in Kona, I think. And she said that she has, you know, always suggests to new pros or people who really want to commit, you know, be on the pool deck at 7am five days a week, like get yourself up if you're, you know, get on the pool deck. And it starts right there, you know, and that always rings true in my head. Because when I did that, you know, when I 2014 came, I was, you know, full-time pro and I did, you know, I had Hillary schedule those swims 7am and I was, you know, I had no one to answer to. I didn't have a coach on deck to tell me I was late or anything, but that mindset shift, it took a while. It took, you know, it wasn't as quick as a season training in New Zealand or something. It was a couple of years of that, but I did, I think that was, it gives you that extra oomph, you know, when you need it in the competition to say, I deserve this. Right. And I've worked for this because Otherwise, I think it's easy to let those doubts creep in when, when it gets hard. Absolutely. And I've, I found now in my coming back to triathlon over the years, now I've got that piece. Now, no one has to motivate me to train when I, when I commit to a certain race and the build up to the race. My favorite thing is to map out, you know, my training for the next, you know, two months or whatever that's going to be. And and then to stick to it without anybody around to push me. And I do most of my training in these last, at least the last 10 years alone, other than I'd go to a pool and there'd be people there, but I didn't need a master's coach to tell me how to get ready for an Ironman swim or a half Ironman swim. And, and cycling, I would want one or two other people just to hold me accountable, to make sure that I, I showed up on time. And then, <laughs> and then so much of my running was off the bike that it was sort of, that was, that was it. And you don't want people around you when you're doing brick running too much. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> I've got this. I got this part. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about how the 2022 world championships will be in Kona this October. And it's going to be the first time we have equity achieved with the equal slots, but also the potential for equal coverage with the races being split on different days for the, the women and the men pros. So were you surprised, you know, to hear, I think maybe it was my co-host Haley Chura who said that at one point, I think she talked to you and you guys had a conversation years ago. And, you know, I think a lot of people didn't even know that the women weren't still having equal spots, right. Until, until recently. So I mean, can you believe that it's taken this long? I guess it's, no, it's kind no, of a simple I, question, but yeah. No, I can't. And um, I, I have to say it was uh, seeing a picture of you ladies with your, in your bikinis with your you know, <laughs> 50 qualifying. Uh, People are like, what does that mean? Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of one of those, it was such a strong way to say it, these strong women supporting this. And yeah, I was kind of shocked that it, it was that recent you know, because it was like, are we still having this conversation? I mean, it was hard to actually be associated with, I mean, to kind of give my time and energy to, to the race, knowing that I'm in some ways supporting this inequity. And um, so I, you know, I could conveniently say, I, you know, I, oh, I thought that had been taken care of. No, the truth is it was, it was way overdue. And um, I feel like uh, this is, there were, there was no good excuse for that to have taken so long. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit because while we were pursuing this, um, you know, we would talk to people in the Ironman realm, put bugs in people's ears, kind of, you know, feel things out. And I was shocked because one of the sentiments I sometimes found in return from an older generation of athletes was this concept of, I had to work for it. So you should too, like earning your spots is fine. Competing, you know, in this proportional fashion is fine. If the women want more spots, you know, they, they need to get more women pros to make the numbers equal that sort of thing. Um, but you write a lot in your book about the concept of striving together, you know, and in reference to your competitors and how you should be striving together in competition. Right. So do you think that striving together is also something women should be doing and taking to heart in regards to helping each other advance? You know, like, can we kind of throw out that notion of, well, I had it rough and I survived. So, so you, you know, you, you're on your own here, you know, well, and see, why I, is this such a hard concept for people to grasp, I guess? 
I, but see, I have the opposite feeling. I didn't have to, I didn't have to qualify for Kona. I got to just show up and boy, did I make the most of that. But I, I understand that, uh, and I was opposed to the idea of a monopoly sort of happening for, for men and women to get their spots or their points to have to kind of have this demand on their exclusivity to the Ironman brand. Um, that didn't seem fair either. So, but to, to your point, um, yeah, I, I think we, we need to see a positive, uh, supportive energy out there. I think with uh, having the way the professional life is now, so much of it's on um, influencing and social media, that it, it is sort of divisive in a way that you have your own um, social media crew that follows you, you do your own posting. Um, I think what you're trying to do um, with, with the podcasts and things, it is unifying and it is getting the pros to kind of come to common ground. But for the most part, they're pursuing these professional careers now and they kind of disappear into their social media and you have access to them, but they're doing, you know, promoting products and they're promoting their careers. And I don't see what we started out as this group that was kind of presenting the sport has now, you know, splintered into mm. um, stars kind of trying to promote themselves. Um, I don't know what what the shift is going to take for that to kind of be feeling like we're rising together. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it feels very much disconnected to me uh, on some level that when you go to a world championship, like we were in, in St. George, it's just nice to see the press conference, you know, mm -hmm. to see the athletes just sitting there uh, thoroughly enjoyed the men. They were so loose and fun. Um, <laughs> they had, the, they were, they were, their personalities all came out. The women were a little more focused and a little more tight lipped, <laughs> a little more tight lipped. And, um, I, I think that's just, you know, that was just, we, that it was a contrast to me that the women just seemed to be more game face and the hmm. men were, were equally game face, but they had this kind of looseness. They seemed mm -hmm. more bonded. Um, Interesting. as a group. Um, and, and maybe because two of the athletes train together, you know, right. and, and one of the athletes is, is, you know, coached by the other's brother. I mean, it was like, there's maybe more internal connection there, but yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to take to kind of get that, that feeling going. And it is interesting, you know, thinking about that, I've, I've seen very similar things in press conferences I've watched, but I will say when I've attended the women for try events and we have a panel of women pre-race oh. before that, it's a totally different environment because you're surrounded by women, like, you know, and so it's very, I, you know, I do, I definitely encourage those, um, those events and the things that women for try are doing, because I think it is helpful to be building that community and kind of opening, you know, the, I agree that with you sense 100%. Of yes. Cause I did attend the women for try panel. Uh, Paula Newby Frazier was the MC and it was Laura Siddle and Nikki Bartlett and myself. And so I can't, it's going across the street. Um, so it was, it was really kind of, uh, the energy in that room was great. We, we tend to only have those events around world championships. And, and I can see the point because it is, does have that special feeling. And there is a certain vibe to the room that the, the women are just really need that, that kind of, that, that coming together, uh, supportive feeling before they go out and, you know, to conquer a world championship. Um, maybe the same for the men, but you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so Julie, you are so well known for one of the craziest feats of endurance of the female body. So are there any physical feats of women that have inspired you in recent years? Uh, Courtney Dewater. Mm -hmm. Am I pretty yeah. right? DeWalter. Yep. Yeah. DeWalter. Man, she's, she's she something, isn't she inspires me. Yeah. And I, and I actually quoted, I went to visit a friend's uh, daughter as a freshman at Annapolis. So that's kind of a oh, okay. talk about an intense environment and talk about women, you know, holding mm -hmm. their own. I was so inspired by these young women. These I was there, Julie, I went to the Naval Academy for two years. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Left. Okay. But I survived two years there. So I okay. do, I can relate to this. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to climb the obelisk, the greased obelisk? After I was at the there? bottom, but okay. I was there for that. Yeah. Okay. So you, oh, you, can really, you can totally relate to what I'm saying. And this young woman, um, Cameron Delaney, she's on the crewing team. So she's got, you know, she has her sport, but I was back there and I was talking to, um, her roommate, she, and this other young man. And 
I said, yeah, I saw this great podcast on this, this ultra runner. And she talks about how she did this mind flip of the pain cave. Like as an endurance athlete, we try and delay the pain cave. We try and cruise along like, oh, this is the, the swim's going great. The bike's going great. We know we're going to find, you know, our welcome mat to the pain cave on the run. And uh, it's <laughs> coming. Just knocking on the door the whole time. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so she said, she, she tried to hold it off, like push it back as long as she could. And then she just, I don't know if it was on a training run or whatever. She just had this mind switch where she went, wait a minute. I've earned the privilege of dealing with that pain cave. This is what I trained for. I trained to manage that. So I'm not going to push it back. I'm going to say, bring it on, expand the pain cave. So oh, I love it. Me now expand the pain cave. So yeah. that's, that's Courtney's. And I thought, cause if you're, if you're, you, you're resisting it, then that, you know, that is translating throughout mm-hmm. your performance. There's this resistance to greatness almost if you're going to holding off some room so you can manage that. And I thought that's sort of something that not only as a, a female athlete that inspired me, but a mindset. That mm-hmm. of- and that is great for the Naval Academy too, or any of the academies, yeah. because they, yeah. same thing, they've earned that privilege to be in that space and it's oh, time that- to embrace it when they're there, you know? Okay. That that's, I think that's very telling about you now, now that I've had this experience <laughs> with these women and what they go through and, uh, oh, you know, it, it's a whole new definition of, uh, bad ass. <laughs> I did the two years to kind of, I think, prove to myself that I, one, I really didn't want to continue, but two, that I could, you know, endure the two years. Um, But it's, yeah, it's, I think I've blocked a lot of it from my memory, but it's definitely. (laughs) Ground fighting? Do you remember ground fighting? (laughs) I remember, I tell people all the time, they made us take boxing and wrestling and I could not wrestle or box to save my life. And they um, would match you up against people your same height and weight. And I oh, just would get pummeled and the yeah. poor professor, like the teachers just passed me. Cause they felt so bad. I was like, I don't have a fighting bone in my body, but I went, I left there and then somehow find my way to Ironman. So I, I apparently love pain caves, just, you yeah. know, okay. different types. Okay. <laughs> well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time today. I think, you know, people, have looked up to you for now decades. And I'm just continually inspired to know that you're still in the sport and still helping women in the sport and giving back in ways that you didn't have yourself. So thank you so much for that. It was great to chat with you today. Oh, and Alyssa, good luck on all your crazy adventures that you're doing. I mean, they're not crazy. They're well thought out, well planned out. And I just, I love following your adventures in the dirt. So keep up the the good work. Thanks so much. Bye, Julie. Bye-bye. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood. DNA and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker to your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. Raise your hand if you believe we need more women and more overall diversity at our triathlons. Now keep that hand up if you want to be part of the solution. The team at Lifetime, the nation's premier healthy way of life brand, is right there with you. Their main focus? The iconic Verizon New York City Triathlon, coming up on July 24th. For this year's New York City Tri, Lifetime replaced their registration lottery, added a duathlon distance, and implemented a rookie refund program, all to get more racers, 
like you, of every age, skill level, and background to take on the concrete jungle. They have women, but not enough. They have non-binary participants, but they need more. They have athletes from 39 states and 17 countries, but they want to cover every corner of the globe. Let's write a better future for endurance sports together. Visit nyctry.com today to reserve your spot to race the greatest city in the world. That's nyctri.com. women need more protein and if you're training hard you need a lot more like upwards of 100 grams a day or even more that can be a challenge to get through meals alone some days so a good protein powder like Neurofi plus from Prevenex can help Neurofi plus is a vegan friendly protein powder that is low in sugar high in essential branched chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling you can get with other protein powders Neurofi Plus is laboratory tested and contains no soy, gluten, dairy, preservatives, or artificial sweeteners. Listeners of this series can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code TITLE9, that's all caps and the number 9, at checkout. Just go to Prevenex.com, P-R-E-B-I-N-E-X.com, and use the code TITLE9 at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money-back guarantee on all of their products within 30 days, no questions asked. Again, use the code TITLE9 at checkout for 15% off your first-time purchase at Prevenex.com. Okay, well, what a great interview. Hey, Celine. That was, that was really great. And, and like you had mentioned in the intro, it was really touching to, to hear her mm-hmm. uh, talk about uh, how how your work was impacting her it just it just goes to show that this work really continues you know mm-hmm. I like what she said about the work that you know that we do that Alyssa's involved into with the podcast mm-hmm. about how it it brings people together yeah I like you know? that mm-hmm. the common ground yeah. I like that a lot yeah. yeah um so yeah thank you so much to Alyssa Gadeski for hosting that interview and for Julie Moss of course for um chatting with us for this podcast so Celine what do we have coming up next week Next week, we have an interview with Women's Basketball Hall of Famer, Joan Cronin. Uh, She has a lot of experiences as a women's athletic director at Tennessee and is just a legend in the sport. And she is going to be interviewed by our very own feisty chief of staff, Catherine Taylor. Yay. Can't wait. Nine Voices for Title Nine, powered by Inside Tracker, is a feisty media production. This episode was produced and edited by the amazing Amelia Perry. 